Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest in New York is Bill Abbott, president and CEO of Crown Media Family Networks, the parent company of Hallmark Channel and its related channels. Bill has the difficult job of navigating an independent cable TV company through the choppy waters of disruption and unprecedented upheaval in the pay TV landscape. Bill is candid in the interview about the competitive disadvantage that a company of crown size has in a marketplace that has become dominated by global media giants. At the same time, Hallmark defied all the odds and successfully launched a linear channel just about 18 months ago, Hallmark Drama. And Bill also gives us an update on the status of Hallmark's two-year-old subscription streaming service, Hallmark Movies Now. Bill Abbott, President and CEO of Crown Media Family Networks, thank you so much for stopping by today. Pleasure to be here, Cynthia. Let's talk, let's start with the biggest question that anybody in the television or the content programming business is grappling with right now. How are you and your business dealing with the exponential growth in competition for for eyeballs, competition for the for people's share of television watching time? Well, there's no question the business has changed and is evolving so quickly. Every day you read another story of a new service that's launching with great new product, uh, all of which uh, uh, consumers will really benefit from. You know, at the end of the day, we think the consumer is clearly, at this point in time anyway, the winner with the amount of content out there and the price that they're paying. Uh, certainly, uh, it's it's pretty impressive what's being delivered. For us, we have really carved out, though, a place within the ecosystem of family-friendly, high-quality content that is, um, at this point in time, not really under siege the way so many other categories are. Uh, so, you know, our brand certainly allows us to stand apart. And then quality content, at the end of the day, is what rules the day. And, and we have made so much progress in terms of creating quality family content that is uh, not objectionable and that is advertising in, uh, from an advertiser point of view is just ideal. And also, uh, you don't have to worry about grabbing the remote if your kids enter the room. So it's uh, <laughs> we're in a position where we feel like we are, um, because of the brand and because of the high quality and the genre that we're in right now, we're in a very good place. But certainly, it's become more and more competitive every day. You really have done such a good job. We've talked over the years, such a good job of defining within the broad parameter of family-friendly and advertiser-friendly, defining a niche that is hopeful, aspirational, a little romance, a little mystery. It's really quite a programming success story. Well, thank you. And and really, uh, that's been a key part of our strategy to lean into the brand because the brand is all about celebrating life special moments and taking that heritage of the 110-year-old greeting card company and what you find at retail, that experience of winter, spring, summer, fall, and weddings, and Valentine's Day, and certainly holiday. Those are things that are uniquely hallmarked from an entertainment perspective and uh, and have become uh, real identifiers for our channels. And so, you know, you add that to the quote-unquote family-friendly element and high-quality piece, and you begin to come up with a product that is uh, very differentiated. And, and so we feel very good about our future. Even down, I'm thinking about it as a viewer, even down to the color palette, when you're flipping around, you know when you're on a Hallmark channel. That, that's really something that we've seen a lot with, um, we've seen a lot with more, even more niche-focused 
channels, but for you, for being a general entertainment channel with the with the guiding principles that you have, it's really quite a branding success story. You're such a student of the business. <laughs> I love it. Our graphics department, in, led by Jen Lee Temple, is spectacular. And this is all by design, intentionally created, so that you get that feeling when you walk into a gold crown store. Of if it's fall, you feel you you smell the apple cider, you feel you see the pumpkins, you see the leaves, you feel that fall uh, experience, and we view the the overall linear platform especially as a unique experience that viewers get when they come to our channel. It's not just about the content, although certainly that's what drives them there, but it's the interstitials we create, it's the different keyables that we have, it's that overall look and feel that's so important. How are you doing in this environment with the new breed of virtual MVPDs, the YouTubes, the Hulus, um, you know, more more coming down the pike, as we know, Amazon's becoming more aggressive as a channel bundler in addition to its content. Where, how do you fare on the virtuals right now? We do well, although uh, uh, the reality of those businesses are they're so difficult because programming costs are so high, so they have to manage every penny. And even though we represent tremendous value as a group of cable channels, uh, the reality is that after they're finished paying for broadcast and their uh, sports rights and the packaging that they have to buy that's driven by the conglomerates, uh, we are uh, in a position that we're next up. And so that is a, a very difficult piece to navigate. But we've, we've, uh, we've done relatively well there, although there are a couple of major ones still outstanding that we haven't closed. I spend quite a bit of time in Washington, D.C., just overall creating that picture of what the landscape, how it's evolving, how it's changing, and uh, and why, uh, as an independent group of channels, it's so important that legislation is created that really supports the ecosystem and doesn't allow the, the broadcasters, basically, to monopolize uh, these platforms. It is, although there's hundreds of channels, there's about eight major owners of channels. That that consolidation, even with the front-end expansion behind the, behind the curtain, there's a ton of consolidation. When you talk to people in D.C. about this general, do you get the sense that they, that they get it? Are there, are there things that can be done at the regulatory or legislative level to you know, tr- try to make somewhat of an even playing field for well, a crowd it. media? Yeah, they get it. And really, the Cable Act of 1992 is the root of all evil because that is what has generated this playing field that is so inequitable and has created so much leverage for the broadcasters. And so we spend a lot of time really on not only on behalf of ourselves but on behalf of our distribution partners really weighing in around how unfair it is that a broadcast network and the must-carry provisions can drive a slate of cable networks that nobody watches, get a license fee, get a good position on the on the dial, as you might call it, and ultimately uh, squeeze out independent voices. So we spent a lot of time on that. We spent a lot of time on the ownership factors that exist. Hulu now is 100% owned by Disney, and they're, in a, they're a VMVPD. That's the definition of, of, uh, of, a, of a competitive nightmare. From the perspective of of uh, our uh, our group of networks, that's a lot of market share. It's a lot of market share, and they shouldn't have the ability to not carry us and carry Lifetime in a premium position when they own half of Lifetime. It's just anti-competitive, and there are a number of senators and and congressmen who are on that in a big way. Are you talking to Hulu? 
live are, about we joining are, but that? We're not carrot currently. Mm-hmm. Do you see? I mean, do you think? Are there? Is there? Is there a, an impediment to the deal, or is it that you just haven't been able to to come to terms on the financial? Uh, it's not the financial, so uh, you know we'll uh, we will leave it to others to determine as to what the uh, ultimate strategy is. I can't speak for their business, but but this much I know: uh, there isn't an awful lot of incentive to carry us when you own networks that compete directly with our channel. Interesting. Well, this is a perfect. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's a perfect example of the kind of the small squeezes that happen, kind of sometimes. You know, in the shadows that that people don't know about, but you guys are on the on the front lines. It's, it is we are, a, as you know, the highest rated independent cable network with two secondary networks that are also very highly rated. We're at the forefront of it, and if a, if a company like Hallmark has issues surviving in the entertainment landscape with the great content we have, the ratings that we have, the success, the popularity, the the amazing original productions that we create. If we have a difficult time seeing a path forward in this linear environment, then there's something wrong with the system. Let me ask you, how are you doing on the linear side with traditional MVPDs? You know, it, it, for many of the established channels, it's become a it's become a you know one to two percent decline in subscriber base a year. How are you guys faring? We're doing well. We're carried across the board, and we've had great success with Hallmark Drama uh, launching that. We're now in nearly 25 million homes right and, out of the gate. And that's a, that's a dedicated channel. How old is that yeah, channel? So we launched that against all conventional wisdom. And to Every a lot, headwind. Yes, and to a lot of uh, consternation about 18 months ago. And uh, really, until you sit down with someone and explain what the strategy is, it's understandable that the reaction would be, I don't need another linear channel. Why would you bring me another linear channel? Right. But then you explain what the actual content is and the programming strategy and the DNA of the Hallmark brand. And people begin to say, oh, I, I get that. You know, that's a very interesting proposition. So we've had great success and we're carried by the vast majority of those on the MVPD side. and Comcast, uh, DirecTV, that whole... Yes, across mm-hmm. the board, Charter's the only uh, real big missing piece. Uh, and, you know, we'll work our way to uh, what we think will be whatever the number is, fully penetrated, whether it's 60, 70, 80 yeah. uh, million homes, we'll have to see. But, uh, but we're on a great path here, and we have original content for the first time launching in fourth quarter. So we're very proud of that. As we talk about distribution, you know, headaches and turbulence, of course, the, the industry is very obsessed with the move with, by a lot of the major players to, to certainly, you know, major experiments with direct-to-consumer strategies. You guys have about a two-year-old service called Hallmark Movies Now. On demand, if you need that Christmas movie in July, you know where to go. You're just about two years old with that. How, how are you faring with that product? Remarkably well. Uh, we just passed 750,000 subscribers, which if you think about the ecosystem and the general entertainment cable space with those brands, I don't think there's anybody other than Acorn, which has over a million. That's uh, AMC-driven. And really, there's no brand that has been that successful. And uh, we've done it with mostly library content, although we did launch an original series this past uh, September, and we've had a couple of original movies that have appeared on the platform. But again, it just shows the passion for our content and our brand that we've been able to get to that point, 750,000 subscribers with uh, in not a, a long period of time. And what are you charging a month? Uh, we're five ninety nine a month, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know I think that that's probably undervalued. I think that the whole 
SVOD ecosystem has got to go through a major change because there's no way the economic model works if you're creating this type of volume of content and you're getting paid $4.99, $5.99, even $6, $7, dollars uh, It's just too much content at too uh, uh, low a price for to be sustainable. So it's a loss. At that $5.99, it's a loss leader it's for about, you right it's now. It's about break even at $5.99. Uh, but, uh, but certainly we've invested a lot in it. We've invested a lot of content that we might run on our linear platforms because there's no duplicated content on any of our three channels mm. or our SVOD service. So that's content we could have taken. And so it's an opportunity cost in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also, you know, just in terms of focus and human capital and all the, the investments we've made in terms of people and strategy, all of that too has been a big factor into it. So while it's break even financially, arguably it's been, uh, uh, it's much, the number is uh, much, not quite that attractive. And what what has been the driver for that? Have you done much consumer marketing for that, or is it is it word of mouth? People that know that they love your channel hear that that's available and they sign up. I think it's a combination. So when we on our own channels, we certainly promote it fairly heavily. Uh, we have a fair amount of marketing money that we spend in social, especially uh, that has been uh, very much important to to driving. Um, Subscribers, our marketing team is extremely good with even even an email campaign. You know, so there are strategic ways that in that space you can operate and that work really well, and you can do it at a fairly low cost versus having to roll out, you know, a major movie that to start with, you know, you're buying a spot that is two hundred fifty thousand dollars in cinema or an ABC. You know, so it's it's a little bit of a different play. You have to be a little bit more uh, strategic, I think, in terms of the approach. But uh, it's a combination. The, the brand awareness that we have. When you say it's a Hallmark movie, you, you know what it is. You don't need any additional real definition to what, you know, what you're going to be watching. And so that has helped in terms of not having to explain who we are. You, know, you look at Curiosity Stream as an example, which is a wonderful service. And, but, I mean, it takes <coughs> a few times of seeing it and really going there and understanding what it is before you get an idea what the content is. We have the built-in advantage of the brand. Right, which is, goes to the brand that you've honed over a good you know, yes. ten, last 10 to 15 years. Are you considering anything in your blueprints for the future? Are you considering a more dramatic step in the direct-to-consumer area? Would you take the Hallmark Channel, your mothership channel, and, and offer that as a direct-to-consumer property? Well, certainly there's, a, I think, a big business there, and that would be a wildly successful uh, endeavor. Uh, but our uh, affiliate agreements preclude us from taking our service and, uh, and taking it over the top. Uh, just another one of the pieces of the puzzle that make business so difficult to operate within when you've got MFN clauses and yeah. a lot of different things that just overall uh, permeate the business. But uh, we think that ultimately the landscape has to change in some way. And whether it's an over-the-top streaming experience of channels or uh, the pricing gets broken out differently, the video game business has been very successful at portioning out pieces of you know, their, their own video game brands and having you pay for different experiences within that. I don't know how ultimately, obviously, the SVOD system uh, uh, it turns out, but certainly I think that the way it's currently constructed is difficult. If you want to find out if the guy gets the girl, 
50 cents right here there at you go. the end of the there third act. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Let's talk about the advertising business, which I know is, is you know, hugely significant to, to you and your brand, given the configuration. Um, you know, a lot of people in the industry are talking about advertising, television advertising itself is something that needs to be reinvented. Is there anything that you guys have been doing in the last couple of years, whether it's new ad formats or or new basis for doing your business for new new basis of currency beyond the traditional Nielsen demographic ratings anything innovative so going that's on a, there a great question because i think you know on so many levels starting with nielsen i think having a hard time just getting a grasp of what's happening in the ecosystem but uh, you know, beyond that, advertisers, the good news is, is that TV just works so well for advertisers that, you know, so many 125 digitally native brands, digital native brands have launched with huge success and grown their business way beyond um, anything that they uh, ever would have thought. And TV was has been identified as the main driver. So those are big uh, pieces and caveats within while the, the traditional model will change and in, inevitably undergo some type of transformation, uh, the linear TV business still very much works on the advertising side. From our perspective, we have, um, we've experimented with all kinds of different pods, formats, the length of ads. Uh, we um, uh, have found, though, that our viewership is very consistent throughout our commercial breaks. And so we had we ran our original series last year with only uh, four minutes of commercial time, mm. and we really didn't see a change in the viewing patterns as reported by Nielsen, or the viewing of the commercial breaks. So, um, you know, we think that uh, certainly the way the industry evolves again will be different, but um, it'll be more, I think, around attribution, around you know how we measure it, around whether the Finally, the antiquated notion of the 18 to 49 demo right. will go by the wayside. We've done a number of deals actually uh, this fourth quarter in Scatter that have been guaranteed either on households or people two plus because advertisers recognize that really the target demographic notion is something that isn't necessarily going to be what moves a product. So, uh, you know, the that industry is undergoing a huge transformation, too. And um, at the end of the day, quality content wins. And when you have viewers and you can do different things within your content, like product integrations and, and overall uh, positioning a little bit differently, um, you'll be in good shape. We'll be in good shape. Are there other, other than age and traditional age and gender, are there other metrics, other slices of audience that you find advertisers are coming to you and say, we really want to... We really want to meet this this lane of people. Can you help us? Are you getting? Is it getting to that granular level in as, your discussions? As a broad based channel, we haven't had as much. I think of that. We um, we do target those endemic advertisers who are seasonally driven, or holiday, or Valentine's, or Mother's Day focused, and so. You know, that's been a successful strategy, but in terms of slicing the pie in an even thinner way, uh, we haven't seen a lot of that at this point yet. I think on the local level, there's a lot of success that's being had through targeting and and different things that are being done. Mm -hmm. Tell us, who is the Hallmark Channel audience? You know, I think there's a lot of us in the industry in New York and L.A. that probably have a perception that it's very... Middle America, you know, a lot of families probably skewing a little bit older than the than the traditional 
than the traditional 18 to 49, which, as we know, as we just said, is becoming anachronistic. But tell us what we don't know about the Hallmark audience. Uh, there are, uh, you know, well, certainly I'm not going to uh, say that that is not a big part of our audience, what you identified, because it is. And we're proud of that and we feel very good about that and we're not going to shy away or run away from that. Uh, but I think what people don't know is how strong we are in top 10 markets. We have made enormous strides uh, in, in just awareness and viewership in L.A., New York, Washington, D.C., Boston. Uh, markets, Chicago is one of our highest rated markets. Markets you wouldn't think of typically as being Hallmark uh, uh, driven or being driven, or having our ratings being driven by uh, top 10 markets. But as the brand has grown and as the quality of our content has improved so much, viewers love it. And we're now, you know, we're, James Corden mentioned us again on a couple of nights ago on, on his late night show. And, you know, that's being done because we're consumed and viewed across the country, all demographics, all walks of life. Um, there are a lot of men who will actually, uh, will now admit to having watched Hallmark <laughs> channel. So it's, uh, it's been uh, very rewarding to see the expansion of the brand into places that you would not expect. And do you must monitor, monitor those pop culture mentions oh, for like sure. crazy. Because it, yeah, it's a Fallon, measure. Yeah, it is a, a certain ago, measure. Jimmy Fallon and Lil Ren were on. He was interviewing Lil Ren. He goes, I love rom-coms. He goes, those Hallmark movies, for example. I love those Hallmark movies. You know, so it's uh, it's very exciting when uh, when that happens organically. We, you know, um, yeah, we you, feel you like. You couldn't pay for that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see. Why do you think that the Hallmark brand at this moment in our culture, when there's so many people with clenched fists going at each other, when social media can just be a toxic waste dump of negativity and hate, why do you think Hallmark and its very often optimistic and even a little idealistic worldview is resonating? I think you just nailed it. That's a big part of why we're successful. And, you know, somebody once said to me, when when we talked about presenting just this portrait of just positivity 24-7, it was like they said nobody wants to – there's no limit on the amount people want to feel positive. And it's, it's the type of thing that um, is so different and diametrically opposed to nearly everything else out there that we've become synonymous with it and it's really worked to our advantage. And um, it's, uh, it's nice to hear too. I get stuff by countless people who say, you know, you have brought so much, your channels have brought so much into our lives because we have this destination to go to. Not that we don't like some of the other content because people can enjoy Game of Thrones and a Hallmark movie. They're right, not, right. but there are times when, you know, life is hard at the end of the day. We all go through our ups and downs and it's difficult. And um, so it's nice that we can provide that other side of the equation that can make you feel good too. Um, you are about to you're 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 going in. You're probably well on your way now into your Super Bowl season of the holidays of Christmas. Tell us what we can expect, and let's talk about the fourth quarter in this this period because Hallmark has become so so well known as the Chris as the the network for all things Christmas. Whatever whatever you want, whatever whatever movie, whatever you know, snowy vista that you would like to see, Hallmark's going to give it to you, especially in November and December. 
Let's talk about what Christmas as a as a vehicle means to Hallmark. Well, certainly it's a driver. So it, that, by definition, it means an awful lot on the business side. We generate probably 30, 35% of our revenue through that period of time. And our ratings are historically, you know, we're number one in fourth quarter as a result of holidays. So it's been uh, clearly critical to our bottom line, the success. Uh, for this year, though, I will say Michelle Vickery and the programming team have taken our content to a completely different level. The quality of, I'd say we're going to go through a period of eight or nine movies in a row that I will put up against anybody else's content anywhere, anytime. We have great stars, Chad Michael Murray and Jesse Metcalf. And we go on a run, really, from November 8th or 9th all the way through past Thanksgiving into the week after where we end with a Kristen Chenow with Scott Wolf uh, movie that's beautifully done and executed. And so I am really excited about how well constructed the movies are and how good the storylines are and the script writing and the the dialogue and the set locations. We shot a movie at the Plaza here in New York. We shot a movie in Rome, Christmas in Rome. Uh, they have really taken our channel to a level far beyond where we've ever been. So that's uh, that's uh, very gratifying to see. And I think ultimately uh, that continues to reinforce our dominance at holiday. Is there any advertising premium that you can get because you are so strong in 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 this in this time period, is it does that does it pay benefits in that way? Beyond obviously, if you have high ratings, but I would imagine that there's a lot of marketers that want to talk to people that as they're going to do their holiday shopping. It totally translates there. We're uh, not only were we, were we number one in twenty five fifty four Thanksgiving week last year, but it was by like fifty percent. And <laughs> the environment is so great. You think of all the original movies we have. We have nine nights in a row of original movies. And if you're a retailer and you're looking to drive Black Friday or Cyber Monday, whatever it is you're looking to do, and you can reach that type of audience, it's almost like the kids' market was back in the 1990s when, you know, there were only a couple of players and you had to get your money down. And if you were a toy advertiser, <laughs> that hard eight weeks was where you needed to be. And so, for sure, we have a lot of leverage there. We're nearly sold out, and the pricing has been uh, commensurate with what you would think it would be, given that overall uh, nearly sold out uh, environment. Given the profile of your content, are there? Do you have maybe stricter ad guidelines than other networks have? Are there for things sure. that you won't take? We've passed on uh, the ad sales is uh, calling me sales prevention lately. <laughs> Because we uh, we watch all the creative, there are there's a lot of creative out there that does just doesn't fit the holiday environment, and it runs the gamut of things you wouldn't even think of. Uh, if it's going to make somebody uncomfortable in the room, then we we don't take the ad, and that can go from you know a movie that's particularly violent or a TV show that's particularly violent all the way to women's undergarments you know so it's yeah. it's we're very sensitive about what we advertise and what we take um unfortunately there are those two minutes called local avails right, right. <laughs> that we don't control at all and uh, we try we monitor and we try and, and encourage our partners on the distribution side to uh, treat us in a similar manner but uh we certainly we don't control that uh, but yes we're very very uh, we're, we're obsessed with uh, how the channel looks because I could imagine that certain things it could be jarring, you know, making a transition exactly. from a movie to a, you know, I would imagine that exactly. that's a big thing. Um, tell, 
Let me ask you, you have been with Crown since 2000. You've been CEO since 2009. Over the past 10 years in, in taking the reins as CEO, what would you say was some of the hardest, what was the hardest learning curve? What was the hard challenge of becoming the CEO of this company at this time in the pay TV arena? I think the notion of operating at such a disadvantage within the landscape that not only are we challenged with distributors and very often put to the back of the line, even though we have great relationships and we represent great value, very often, you know, when they have to get their ABC Disney deal done, you know, it's it's our channels aren't, you know, top of mind. So... Uh, I always intuitively knew that coming from sales myself, but I think that that dynamic and the ripple effect that that creates through the organization, meaning that if our license fees are 15%, and I'm talking literally 15% of our competitors, then we don't have the ability then to spend as much on programming. We we can't commit to marketing the same way. We don't have the staff size we're probably 40% of the staff size of an organization out that manages business our side, our size. I never really realized the impact of that on how it ripples through the organization. So that's been uh, a challenge building what we built without being able to have the resources necessarily that would allow you to do it in a, in a way that would be a little bit easier, make life a little easier. <laughs> We really are in a David and Goliath moment in this business. Bill, thank you so much for stopping and talking candidly about You're this welcome, stuff. It's very, it's very interesting, and we will stay tuned, both on the legislative front and the programming front. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.